You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. I think being around uh, less toxic people and positive people was like huge. So when exercise, that led to health. And then I think when I started listening to Tim's show, uh, that's when I went into like the mindfulness and journaling. And uh, and also and Tim's like a great that. example of, you know, like you see in his both Tools of Titans book and Tribes of Mentors book, uh, you really are, you know, the people, you, you know, you hang out with so Tim spends a lot of time hanging out with really great people, mm-hmm. and in part because his podcast, you know, and he knows them, and um, and then you just learn from them and improve from them. And again, it's forgetting about all the political issues, forget like forgetting like politics almost like slips away because you realize, hey, the greatest impact I can have on the world is if I improve myself and then yes. affect the people around me and then they affect the people around them. Yeah. Instead of everybody, like you said, arguing in this echo chamber that helps nobody. Yeah, and it took forever for me to realize that because, you know, I mean, one, I think you have to accept the fact that being on Twitter all day trashing Trump isn't going to get him impeached. So you feel kind of stupid and worthless, right? Two, like, I don't know why I never thought of that. I mean, I guess... I think the real answer was I didn't want to confront the demons inside of me so it's easier to just tweet about fascism and feel like I'm doing a bigger um, a bigger service. But also, like, you're called apathetic, you know? If you're like, hey, I'm not really into politics, then everyone will be like, oh, there are people dying, you know? Where- yeah, yeah, like if I, if I wrote an article once um, about why I don't vote yeah. and everyone was... Oh, you must have gotten so much shit. yeah. Yeah, you, I, a lot I, usual hate mail. But meanwhile, if I write an article with with you know how I feel about something, it could really have impact. And right. or if I do a podcast, or if you do a podcast on you know like on how you feel about things or how you get over depression, that can have real impact as opposed to casting a vote in California or New York right. where you have zero impact with your vote. Right. You know, I meet a lot of really great and fascinating people in the podcast world. And I'm always interested what makes them great at what they do, but I'm also interested in what are the, what are the problems we're all tackling together? You, me, other podcasters, the listeners, everybody, we're all trying to survive in this difficult world. And I really love it when I have podcasts, whether I'm on a podcast being interviewed or whether I'm interviewing somebody 
where the relationship goes beyond the podcast and I could say, wow, this person's a good person and I want to be friends with them. So I was on a podcast a few months ago with a friend of mine, Jamie Kilstein, who hosts the Jamie Kilstein podcast. We did a podcast all over the place. He interviewed me and it was intense. And I kind of interviewed him back a little bit on the podcast. And that was intense. We did the interview a few months ago. He's got a fascinating story and he's really great at the way he asked me questions. It was a very unique podcast. So I asked him, Jamie, uh, his name's Jamie Kilstein. Again, he hosts the Jamie Kilstein podcast. I said to him, Jamie, can I air the podcast that you did with me on my own podcast? Because I think it's great. We talked about everything from my story to his story, to problems in America right now, to how those problems can be solved both on an individual and a societal level. I think you're going to enjoy it. Here it is. Let me know if you like these kinds of podcasts where I'm getting interviewed. I'd love to hear from you. Holy shit. What's up, you guys? Welcome to the Jamie Kilstein Podcast. Huge episode today um, with my new friend, uh, James Altucher. It's really... He's such a fucking fascinating guy. He... um, He's a hedge fund manager um, and a best-selling author, venture capitalist, all these words I wasn't allowed to say on my other show. Um, But he talks a lot about failure and how many times he's failed. And also now he's 50 years old and has started stand-up comedy, which we talk about a lot. So we talk about uh, comedy in the New York scene. We talk about sort of the, the, the masochistic aspects of stand-up, starting in stand-up, and then we talk a shitload about, you know, the extremes on both political sides. We talk about uh, him almost getting into a fight with the CEO of TCBY over talking about the war. (laughs) We talk about failure, staying positive, all this shit. It was, uh, I know I say this often, but it was my favorite interview. I say that every episode. So I really hope you guys enjoy this interview as much as I did. Uh, James Altucher, you can find him um, at jamesaltucher.com. Uh, his Twitter is jaltucher. That's A-L-T-U-C-H-E-R. Um, he writes amazing blogs and uh, was just so wonderful and warm and, and taking me into his home. And I can't wait to see him sort of grow as a comic uh, while doing all of these other uh, all these other normal people ventures not even normal um but he was family he he was lovely his family was lovely i hope you guys enjoy this i hope you guys learned something from this i did i hope you guys follow james and there's an extra episode every week if you support the show if you want to help this show grow so i can travel more interview more people get video going not go homeless all that good stuff you can go to patreon.com slash Jamie Hilstein podcast. That's the only way we can also keep the show for free. I'm trying to keep the show for free and you can do that um, by going to Jamie Kilstein, uh, patreon.com slash Jamie Hilstein podcast. Uh, if you're new, you can follow me on Twitter at Jamie Hilstein, Instagram, Jamie Hilstein podcast. And uh, that's it. All right, guys. Enjoy James. Doing this, man. No, no problem. Are we, are, are we, is the podcast started? This is it. This we're is it. we're podcasting. We are doing a podcast right now. Wow, I'm on a podcast. This is a big deal, right? <laughs> it totally is. This is, man, I feel like, uh, well, so here's what's interesting. So I wanted to, I live in Los Angeles, so I'm only here for the weekend. And, you know, in LA, you can interview any comic you want, but 
I really wanted to start interviewing people outside of comedy. And so I get to you, who I've been a fan of for a while, and now all I want to do is talk uh, about comedy. Um, That's all I love talking about. Okay, great. Yeah, that's what I figured. That's like me when uh, that. That's like me with like jujitsu. Like all people want to do is like interview me about like the stuff I've done involved in comedy, and I just keep making jujitsu analogies because like that's my obsession. Like comedy is yours. And it's like on my podcast, I could have on like someone who's been through the worst horrible things, and like oh, but it reminds me of like going on stage and the fear you feel. And- I know, and they're just like, oh, all right, man, I get it. Um, okay, so first of all, tell me about. Um, so I'll do your intro. Everyone knows that like. You're you're wildly successful, and now you've decided to almost put yourself back in. I mean, starting off as a comic is one of the fucking most humbling, oftentimes humiliating things you could do. It totally is. It almost feels like masochistic that you're like, like there's something deep in your subconscious where you're like, man, I've got everything I want. I know it'll go back to making me feel like a piece of shit. And then that's what attracts you to stand up. But how did this even It's true. Start? Like I could have like, like I could imagine like the best life ever for myself. And instead I decided to go up on stage in front of like 12 people a couple of times a week. Dude. And sometime, and not only that, and even worse, not only does sometimes they not respond or not respond in the way you want, but sometimes you have like a friend in the in the audience who's trying to impress. <sighs> I know, and or a friend is insists like I've got to see you, I've got to see you, and I'm sure you're great, you're so funny, and then they come and like no one laughs, no. and afterwards they say, hey man, that was good, but you know, you know, <laughs> and now you're like, do you even respect me on everything else I do? Like right. comedy is so it's so vulnerable, like you're so vulnerable up there. And here's another thing I noticed, which is, and so for anyone who doesn't know, when you start comedy. In New York. I mean, you may get to because of who you are. You may get to jump some levels, but maybe not. Like when I started in New York, um, I had to do uh, these like these shows where you would bring your friends, and I was bringing friends in from New Jersey. So it's not like my buddy came down this took the subway to like I dragged like my dad and like my high school friends to get on fucking drive to the train station, get on New Jersey Transit. Get to Penn Station, get on the subway, pay a cover charge, pay a two drink minimum to see like 67 terrible comics till like one in the morning. Just all tell, I mean, it was all newbies. So it was just like, you're going to sit through 67 awful comics and then you're going to see me fumble my way through for five minutes. For five minutes. And then you have to look me in the eye afterwards and stay my friend. Right. Like, and what what, what was your first experience like? Like, what kind of were you telling just standard? Set up punchline jokes. What were you doing? It was like observational. I observational. That's even too like highbrow. I don't know. I don't even remember. I tried to be edgy. I tried to talk about my mom being an alcoholic. But in my first year of comedy, like no matter how, here's what I'm sure you've noticed. No matter how intelligent you are, no matter how um, funny you are in conversation, something happens to you in that first five years of stand-up where you can't talk in your normal voice. I feel like most people will um, talk subconsciously as like a caricature of what they think a stand-up sounds like. Do you know what I mean? Like you could have Jimmy Carter get on stage and he'd be like, so I'm fucking my wife who's a whore. And you're just like, Mr. Carter, what are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, no, I think think you're totally right. I think people have this image of what a stand-up comedian is supposed to do. Yeah. Or or I don't know why. I don't know what that image is. And then you go up on stage and you think you have to, no matter what else you've done in life and no matter what your experiences have been, you feel like you have to start 
from ground zero for some reason. Like your brain tells you this is some brand new experience Mm -hmm. and you have to start from scratch, even though you've been, let's say, telling jokes with your friends all your life. Yeah, you've got stories and you've got, but there's something that, yeah, your brain tells you the things that are naturally funny and that happen spontaneously in conversation. They go, well, that's not stand up. And then eight years in, I mean, the advice you get when you start, the most common advice I got from, comics I look up to, uh, from Louie to whoever, was um, you have to find your own voice. And that is such a insane-sounding piece of advice when you're starting because you go, I have my own voice. I'm speaking in my own voice. And it's like, no, no, no. Like stand-up, you literally start from infancy. And like in eight years, you finally start talking to yourself, talking like yourself. Also, I don't even know if that's totally true. Yeah. Because when you're up on stage and you're, and you're talking to the audience – it's not like you're talking to a bunch of friends. You have to control the audience. Totally. So it's not 100% your own voice. It's your own voice kind of like makes, on steroids. Yeah, Well, that, but, but that's the thing. I, I, I think they mean almost like metaphorically is the wrong word. Not your own voice like the exact demeanor you talk in, but like who you are, what your beliefs are, what your experiences are, um, You know how to do it without uh, trying to be – Someone you're not, but that doesn't mean like delivery wise. That doesn't mean because yeah, you have to be. I mean, look, most you have com- to have all this. You have to have the skills. Yeah, like most comics are self conscious and they hate themselves and would never be verbose in real life. I mean, Jesus Christ, me and Jim Norton were talking to each other for however long at a comedy festival, and I don't know if we made eye contact. We're both like looking at our shoes while having a conversation. That's funny. And you watch Norton on stage, and he talks about the ballsiest fucking things imaginable. Where and J- Jim, you know, I-, I told you earlier, Jim and I. Grew up together. Yeah. On my podcast, all times he's so serious in that conversation. Most often. comics are. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think that's why. I mean, look how popular Rogan's show got. You know, and like for the most part, Rogan's interviewing like Jordan Peterson. <laughs> like he's doing interviews like that more than he's like telling dick jokes. You know what I mean? Like when he laughs on his podcast, like it's kind of rare like he will with like his buddies you well, know i think that's because and this is what a lot of people are starting to realize i think the skill set you learn in comedy yep. applies to many other areas of life for Correct. instance podcasting or public speaking or sales or negotiating or whatever like yeah. i find that there's or or even when i let's say i make a tv appearance for something completely unrelated to comedy uh even the panel of people you're on with is like your audience and you take yeah. control and it's you know, and you do crowd work with that panel. Yeah, with the dude. Anchors. Oh well, that's how I used to go on. It's like, like a, it's like a muscle that clicks. Yep. In. I mean, I used to go on MSNBC a lot, and we were talking before we went on air about like I dropped out of high school, and you know, <laughs> was convinced I couldn't read till I was like twenty four. So obviously, the first time I went on, I mean, dude, I think the first panel I was on, like I was on with like Steven Pinker, like I was on with like brilliant dudes, and if I tried to be. Like an intellectual, that's not who I am, but I'm like, oh, I can make all these people laugh. And then once you can make someone laugh, I mean, that's the only reason I've ever gotten girlfriends. Like once you can make them laugh, it kind of puts everyone at ease and then it makes you confident. And suddenly you start remembering like, oh, I am smart and I can like throw in intelligent points too. But it, it, it really is like, it's like a superpower when you can do it. 
Right. That, that's exactly right. So that's why I think, like, I think that's why Joe Rogan's podcast is so great because he's taking that skill set and he's not doing a stand up set, obviously, on his podcast, but he's, you, I could see he's using all of those skills. The dissecting and, it, yeah. and the callbacks. And yeah, absolutely. Where he's not like a, he's not like a joke monkey where it's like, it's not cheesy. Um, and he, he's riffing with his, with the guests when he needs to. And yeah. He's, well, he's a master of it. Dude, the thing I've been thinking about. I feel like me and it was either me and Jim or me and someone else last night we were talking about. But the thing that I think is the most underrated um, with comedians, and sometimes it'll throw your friends off guard. I'm sure you've been here. Is um, is the vulnerability? So you know, we've only started talking recently, but like a, a very cliff note version of my backstory is like used to be in very progressive politics. Um, had a bit of a falling out. Um, but in, uh, I started with stand-up. And when I got super, super uh, like left of left of left, like offended at everything, that kind of crowd, a lot of like my stand-up heroes were just like, fuck that guy. Um, and I get it. Uh, so then uh, all this stuff happened. You know, Robin was one of my best friends. And Robin was one of the only people convincing me to stay in stand-up. And then fucking he died. And uh, yeah, I just lost it, right? And so uh, I'm trying to give like as abbreviated of a version because my audience knows the story, but I'm like, it must sound very weird, the Cliff Note version to you. Um, and so I, so all this stuff happened. Um, I got like turned on and I got like very, I got very depressed. I was like suicidal uh, like two years ago. And all of these comics who I thought hated me uh, all reached out. Rogan, Stanhope, Norton. Um, me and Jim weren't even friends. And they're and they're kind of like a similar genre. It's interesting. Yeah, but 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 one filled with a lot of honesty. So that's where I was going with this. Where all these progressive journalists, the ones I got on TV, the ones who I gave money to, and like they didn't need it when I had money, the ones who knew about my depression, all of them, like once you get your marching orders from like that part of the left, like he is not one of us, nobody reached out to see if I was okay or anything like that. But comics who I hadn't talked to in years or who were annoyed with me or whatever, all were just like, hey dude, I hope you're okay. I mean, that was really the first time I didn't know Jim. Like Jim, I was one of those annoying comics when I was 24 that was like, can I open for you? Can I open for you? How do you get an agent? Like all that shit, you know? And then Jim found me on Facebook and reached out and I went and did his show and they were all so wonderful. And I think that's a quality going back to Rogan's show and all that stuff that people it's uh, don't understand with comics where everybody has, you know, the left got so mad at all these standups for being offensive and stuff like that. And it's like, no, 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 no. They're just being as honest and challenging as possible. Whereas a lot of people in my old, and I'm very much including myself, um, we sort of hide our demons and want to act holier than thou and sort of cast judgment on other people. Um, but comics, man, like that vulnerability, um, I think is related to empathy. And I think that's why it's like, even the ones who seem like monsters on stage are going to be the first one that's like, oh, you need a place to stay or are you okay? Or do you need someone to talk to? Because they recognize that they're broken. And I think most people spend their life trying to ignore the fact that like they're as fucked up as the comics are. Does that make Did any of that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Because I think when you're, when you, you have this barrier of social issues, 
doesn't matter whether you're left or right. Yeah. You know, it's almost like the issues are a way to avoid dealing with what's in yourself. Yes. And I think a lot of comics who are not issues focused are able to more easily express what's inside themselves in their in their humor and then to and to other human beings. Yeah. And use that as a barrier. Like, oh, if this per you know, there's only so many issues a single person can have where if if someone doesn't agree with me on this issue, I can't be friends with them. Right. But so many people now have like twenty issues where if people don't agree with all twenty issues. And again, it's, we're talking about the left and the right. Yes. If you don't agree with all twenty issues, I can't be friends with you. Yeah. That's and it's getting bigger and bigger that list, that checklist. It used to be like maybe one issue. No. And now it's it's so many, and it's these fucking sub issues and, and and all this stuff. And what I realize now that I don't look at issues is I am making friends with such a wider variety of people, and they're wonderful. They all love their kids the same amount. They all want to fucking pet the cute dog that walks by. Like the, the the people who, even if they don't agree with you on that whole checklist, that doesn't mean they're bad people. Um, and in fact, like I've changed my mind on a bunch of you know things I believed because I've actually just talked to. Um, like what? What's the biggest thing you've changed your mind on? I mean, I think. That's a really good question. God damn it. Um, you went into your podcast mode. Okay. So the biggest thing I've changed my mind on, well, so one of them is um, criticizing successful people where that was very much – I mean, dude, I had a phase when I first got on Conan and my set on Conan was offensive. It, it, it did well. Like if you watch, it doesn't look like I bombed, but it was the most hate mail they ever got at the time, uh, which I was kind of yeah, proud of. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, because your, your Conan set was about the Iraq war, right? Yes. So if you say anything against war, yep. then there's an entire contingent of the United States that will... They have their email written. And, and they're so violent, yeah. the email, the hate mail you get. Yep. It's like, wait a second, you know, I, just because I'm against this war doesn't mean... Right. I'm, just because I don't want to kill people doesn't mean I'm a bad person. No, and, and dude, I, I, every time I've gotten to talk to, like... I, I don't really do the, like, political stuff anymore, but when I when I used to talk to, like, troops after the show, what I would try to explain when they're, like, you know criticizing the war is anti-troop. I'm like, no, motherfucker, it's pro-troop because I don't want you to go get killed for bullshit. Or, you know, as Jocko Willink will tell you, uh, 22 veterans a day kill themselves. Right, so, and like, why aren't we focusing on taking care of them or getting them the treatment they deserve or, you know... Uh, and this is neither, again, this is neither like a left or a right issue, but what's interesting is if you do say, hey, like I have, I have two daughters and they're teenagers and, you know, now any male or female can go to war... I don't want, I would never support a war that could kill my kids. Right. Or, or put a gun in their hands and tell them to kill other kids. Right. Because they are kids. Yes. And, and, and so, but if you say, oh, hey, I think maybe such and such war was probably no good, people so will like, people will say, I, well, I, this happened to me the other day, actually. Uh, people said, you know, Hitler didn't finish the job oh, on, on Jews about Jesus. me. And, uh, like, the most violent stuff uh, came out. And, oh, my God. And I'm like, everybody just relax. Like, all I'm saying is I don't want my daughters to get killed. Yeah. Yeah. So, I also love that the American that said Hitler didn't finish the job. It's like, wait, what side of the pro-war thing are you on? The German side? <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Well, they... It's their whole view of like history is so. I, anyway, I know. It's that. Well, and, and what I was going to say about that too is what's ironic is. The, I mean, the sad part is a lot of the people, look, a lot of the people who probably get mad at us when we talk about the war are fucking just assholes who will say stuff like that. But a lot of people are 
people whose kids are over there, just like you said you wouldn't watch your daughters over there, their kids are over there, and they're terrified, or they went over there, and it's almost this projection where it's like, if my kid's going to fucking die, I'm not going to let this asshole you know, talk about him. When in reality, it's like, well, you should be getting mad at the senators and the Congress people who will never have to have their kids fight in the war, who are sending your kids to fight so that uh, they can make more money, essentially. Like, no, that you should be your target. I, I agree with you, but one time I was at some kind of networking dinner, and I expressed some of my opinions about the war, like, probably the same way you did on, on Conan. And the guy who started TCBY, you know, the yogurt chain, oh, yeah. <laughs> he was, like, sitting at the other end, and he, and he, he like, you know, slammed the table, and, like, everybody was silent. <laughs> the frozen and, yogurt and guy? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, <laughs> nobody who's never been to war should fucking talk about war Whoa. and uh you know it was like everybody i was like shamed <laughs> holy shit you were shamed by the tcby guy yeah i think like the prime minister of pakistan was there and uh <laughs> it's like all these people are like now like all of a sudden looking down at their plates and like i i i, I was a, i was supposedly shamed by this guy i also love that that was your idea of networking where when i came in here i was like uh i was at a networking dinner last night called Skankfest in <laughs> brooklyn new york <laughs> i had like padma lakshmi across from me <laughs> Dude, it's oh, so. So to go back to your original question, and I'm glad you brought up Jocko, which is in my part of the left, we literally were. If I retweeted something by Jocko, I would get in trouble because he's a Navy SEAL, and that probably means he's like a war criminal. Or yeah, so Jocko or Jordan Peterson, Jordan Peterson, you know, or which and, people always they always misquote him. It's like a total witch it's hunt. It's insane. It's insane. And the and also like. The majority of stuff – I'm writing notes of things I want to uh, – the majority of stuff he talks about isn't even the political stuff. It's self-improvement, right. which all of that stuff is wonderful and important. And so so like – okay, so when I kind of like disappeared from comedy and social media was the first time I started listening to you and Ferris and Jocko and all these people. And I was like – if I posted something by Tim Ferris. Or you, um, they would be like they're just like tech bros or capitalists, so they would write anything off. Um, oh. If I posted by Jocko, they would say, um, you know, he's a war criminal. I mean, when I did Conan, when I did that set, I literally had fans of mine write in and were like, "You're selling out, man, because you're doing like Conan and Conan's on a network." Like there are people who are so miserable that they would not be happy unless I was like, "This is Jamie Kilstein reporting live from a dumpster." You know what I mean? And just be unsuccessful. You know, it, it's funny because I, I had a similar experience. I was, and I had a similar transition in, in career at one point or many times, but there was one point I wrote um, a book. Uh, I think it was, I think it was called, this is, I could, can't even remember the titles of my own books, but this book was a particularly <laughs> horrible book. Great. But uh, it was the investment guide to the apocalypse. So I was oh, writing yeah. about investments then. And uh, I don't, I no longer write books about, uh, finance really, but uh, uh, Naomi Klein, some Naomi. I know her. I interview. Oh yeah, it's either you always it's confused Naomi, Naomi Wolf Cl- and Naomi yeah. Klein. Yeah, one Naomi of Klein's I- the uh, anti-capitalist one. Okay, I interviewed I her a bunch of my old show. I think it was her. So she she tweeted. She's like, ugh, disgusting. Yep. And so <laughs> I tweeted her. back, and I'm like, well, did you read the book? Like, and she said no, but just I could tell by the title. And so we got into a little. I shouldn't have even like responded. And then that night, um, 
uh, I got an email. I had never talked with this guy before, but since then we've become really good friends. Uh, Tucker Max, who's written. Oh you know, yeah, uh, I think I did jujitsu with him a couple of years ago in Texas. Uh, that, that, that's probably true. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's into that. He, he wrote um, "They Always Serve Beer in Hell." Yeah, assholes finish first. Very funny books. Anyway, he wrote back and he said, and he's like, "Look, uh, it's going to sound ultra Buddhist, but you just have to like, you know." Uh, I forget exactly what he said. You know, love everybody, like be peaceful. Yeah, you know, and this is from like Tucker Max who wrote yeah. you know, "Assholes Finish First. and he was basically saying just ignore Naomi Klein. Like, you know, you you write and and people are, are moved by it, and that's why you're gonna have haters and people who like you. Yeah, man. And there's something about. I'm glad you actually said that because Tucker Max was another guy. I had a list of people who even on my old show, I used to host a political podcast uh, with my ex-wife. And um, there was a list of people, it was a lot of moderate Democrats from like Fareed to like um, like Jonathan Chait to even like Ezra Klein and stuff. I didn't know why I wasn't supposed to like them. But every time their name came up, you'd just go, ah, oh, yeah, fuck that guy. And if you literally asked me like why, I'd be like, ah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Because that happens so much. About I talked about this on Rogan's show where every day I would wake up, I was miserable. I was miserable living in New York. My marriage was failing. I was only friends with these like miserable journalists. I wasn't uh, doing comedy. Jiu-jitsu was kind of like my only escape. So, and, and Twitter. So I would wake up every morning and I would, uh, I would open the computer and I would look to see what's trending and what all my friends are mad at. And it's like, okay, so Jonathan Chait wrote this piece. Well, I don't have time to read the piece because uh, everyone's already getting their like hot takes and their jokes out. So I'll just see what my followers or my the people I follow are saying, which but is an echo chamber. So I'll see what my echo chamber is saying. And then I'll see it and I'm like, oh, progressives aren't that funny. So I'm like, great. I'll just write like a funny version of this. I write my funny version again, like Naomi Klein, like without reading it. Um, and then even if it's something I cared about politically, I wasn't tweeting because I cared about it politically. I would sit there and I would refresh to see what celebrity retweeted me and I would get my like dopamine hits and I would see if I got new followers and I would just become so addicted to that. Um, And that's what happens, man. There's like people are not doing in-depth. I bet half the people that wrote Jordan Peterson takedown pieces haven't read his stuff. I, that must be true because I've – I mean I, I have it up on the library here, Twelve, his 12 Rules for Life, and he's been on the podcast. And then yeah. I read the um, New York Times profile of him, and it was so clear that she was either misquoting him. And this has happened to me too where I would have a, a journalist ask me some ridiculous question. Yeah. And I would say, you realize that question's ridiculous. Yeah. And there would be silence. And then I would say, just, just so we know, can you repeat to me this line? <laughs> That, the idea you just said, X, James, it does X and Y, yeah. is ridiculous. And, and she would say, I'm thinking of one person in particular, she would say, that James does X and Y is ridic- obviously ridiculous. And then, of course, it would be in the article, James does X and Y. <sighs> and so like, people were just, would just lie, and I saw that. I, that's why I could see like, in some of these articles about all these different people, though, like Jordan Peterson, for one, uh, they're just lying. Yeah, well, so the Tucker Max thing... Um I want to circle back to that because he was on that list of people that I was supposed to hate, right? Yeah, I, I, when, I just to mention, when I first wrote an article about him because we became good friends, uh, immediately on Twitter, it's like, oh, James Aldridge, like, unfollow. Like, yeah. And I'm like, all right, unfollow me. Like, who gives a shit? This I know, is- man. <laughs> and I still get nervous, by the way, because I still – the majority of my Twitter following is still from like my old audience and I I don't want to tweet 
anything. You know, I don't want to like repost Peterson stuff. Or when in reality, I but should be. But the more be, you, the more you find your voice, then you exactly you find your audience. Exactly. Like, I lost my finance audience and gained my real audience. Right. And then they were probably overly one way or the other politically, and so I was just started stating, you know, not political opinions, but more my beliefs about the world. And then I lost half of that audience and right. gained a bigger audience. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Yeah, see, I got such a, I was just talking to my publicist about this before I came here, and essentially I know it's a confidence issue where I'm like, I had such a fucking... Twitter mob come after me that I was like, I just don't want that to happen again. So I'm just trying to stay very like, I, I, again, I had it happen to me July 4th. I, here's what I wrote. Okay. I tweeted, um, I, and I, I kind of did it innocently cause I knew what was going to yeah. happen. But I'm Black like, people might, aren't people. <laughs> I said, this might be a naive question. That's okay. how I pre- okay. pre- prefaced it. Hey, this don't. might be a naive question, but uh, was the revolutionary war worth it? <laughs> it was a bunch of, Old guys who didn't want to pay their taxes, who declared the war, and 100,000 teenagers died. Yeah. And meanwhile, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, these are all fine. And the UK got rid of slavery in 1831. So just just explain to me was Revolutionary War worth it. I got so much hate. Oh my god, it was unbelievable. And no one actually answered everyone. the question. Right? Of course not. Of course not. Well, they don't. People don't want to have conversations anymore they just literally and i was like, asking it legitimately i really wanted to know. I know i wanted a good answer dude but they they don't have i've gone back and i've talked to some of my like not friends but i've talked to people on uh on that side and they don't uh the extremists on both sides oftentimes don't have answers they have a a multi-page list of talking points and they'll just shout their talking points at you and you know, one of the reasons I think that 
people on the left are so fucking soft uh, or young men are or the reason I think people are attracted to the more like alt-right and I do, I'm, I do not consider Peterson or Weinstein or any of those people alt-right is because there are no – I've talked about this a little bit on the show but there aren't really – all of the guys who talk about discipline and who talk about like um, not – blaming others for your problems and sort of like victimhood mentality and getting your shit together or even simple stuff like Jordan Peterson talks about like cleaning your room and like walk with confidence with like your shoulders back and your back straight and stuff or like that. Or raise, raise your child to be someone you like. Yeah. It's like a oh, basic so rule of advice yeah. in his book. And like everyone's like, oh, he's a he's – What a, a Nazi. <laughs> yeah. Like no, I do want to raise my kids to be people yeah. I like. <laughs> but the thing is they are all – we are so used to those words coming out of – our old Republican grandfathers that if someone who's more left leaning, like I'm still left leaning for sure, uh, talks about that. There's no one who's left leaning who really talks about that stuff. So what happens is, in my opinion, all these young men see, you know, Jordan Peterson and he's like, being a fucking man and he's talking about being a man, right? Which like on the left, like you would get in trouble for talking about like the good parts of like being a man, right? So then they start, they go down this Jordan Peterson YouTube rabbit hole and then YouTube will be like, hey, if you like Jordan Peterson, like you'll love and then some like fucking extremist like right wing yeah. guy. And I think that that's why all of these young men are like, like there's no one really on the left who's also like, yeah, I'm for equality and I don't like war and all this stuff. Also like stop being a pussy and like go to the gym and take care of yourself and like defend your family. You know what I mean? Like Jocko, all that, Jocko was talking about, he was the first dude I heard who talked about like discipline and setting your alarm and like stuff oh, like yeah. that. Right, hold on a second. Hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. What is this? The rough draft of uh, Jocko's next book. Holy shit. The dichotomy of leadership. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah, Spiral I have both. Bound. Of, I, dude, I, his stuff is so good, I almost bought the kid's book. Um, uh, I did buy the kid's book. It's up there somewhere. That's it's great. A, it's a great book. I love that. I just opened a random page and saw frantic caps locks. Uh, yeah, dude, he's great, but... I never got those lessons, and maybe again, I should take personal responsibility, but with what I was reading, with what I, the groups I was around, it was always attack other people, attack other people, attack other people. And well, again, this happens on the extreme right too, but I never heard about discipline or, 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 or fucking even like meditation and journaling and like all these things which are actually very peaceful, wonderful, healthy practices until I sort of dove more into your world which i think a lot of people think are just like a bunch of fucking bros it's like all right well then bros taught me about meditation well the, the reason we all know each other is because we just simply like each other right right <laughs> right, right, right it's not like oh i better network with jocko because he's a navy seal so so, so, so we can career. uphold the patriarchy right? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he i've even told him when he when he was on my podcast with this Two people who couldn't be more different. Oh, I and, love that. And, I, I remember that podcast. And, and uh, you know, that's just the way. You know, the whole thing is is like, like I don't even. It, it, it's you, there's this cliche saying, but it's true, which is you can't improve the world unless you improve yourself. But most people don't really buy into that because it's really hard work to improve yourself. Yeah, it's much easier to go on Twitter and say, "Oh, this guy sucks." Yeah, and blah blah blah. I'm so angry. Yeah, I well, can't calm myself until I get over this anger. Yeah, well, dude, or, or like you could be like, I was even more of a hypocrite where I'm like, 
those years where I was so progressive and I was getting popular on Twitter and like famous people were like retweeting me and shit, like I wasn't calling my mom. Like there were literally a point where like I wasn't calling my mom and I'm like, I don't have time. I'm tweeting about feminism while I'm not calling like my mother, you know what I mean? Who is a woman where now that I'm actually like taking care of myself and being healthy and uh, trying to be as positive as possible and stuff like that. It's by far like the best friend I've been, the best family member, like when I'm in relationships, the best boyfriend, or conversely, knowing how to get out of a relationship and not, you know, uh, prolonging that. And I never did those things because I could use this sort of self righteous political martyr. Uh, excuse and be like, I'm doing good for the cause on Twitter where it's like, no, I'm not. I'm trying to get fucking retweets and likes and shit like that. And I'm ignoring people in my life and I'm unhealthy and I'm fucking suicidal and depressed. Um, but I can still feel like. What was the uh, first step towards health that you took? Um, Whether it's physical health, creative health, emotional health, I, spiritual health. Yeah. So I think for me, it went in order. I think it went. I threw myself harder into jujitsu, um, which, which by itself, like the discipline of that, is going to help bring emotional. It's going to bring other kinds of help yes. As well. So that'll make you because so okay. So I got really depressed like two weeks ago, and I can tell you exactly the trajectory where I was injured in jujitsu, so I couldn't train. So because I can't train, I go, you know what? I'm going to treat myself and kind of eat shitty. Then when I eat shit, and I'm depressed, and then when I eat shitty, I start crashing. So then I have more coffee, and that makes me more jittery, and like then I don't sleep as well, and so it's just this like. Um, this spiral, this like sort of shame spiral, right? Um, so the opposite happened. So when I got healthy, two things with jujitsu: one, three, uh, one, just exercise in general, right? Endorphins, all that stuff. Two, confidence, because you know I'm a little guy, and I was picked on, and I was never uh, popular with like women when I was younger and stuff like that. And suddenly you're like fucking up UFC fighters and you're like, okay, like I can be confident. So that'll make me more confident on stage. That'll make me more confident when I walk, when I talk to people. And then three, hanging out with athletes, even before I discovered your guys' like podcast network, when I started hanging out with fighters more than journalists or even comedians who I adore, um, Athletes, I feel like, were the first people that I would hear talk about, like, self-improvement. And, like, they're reading books on, you know, great leaders that they can emulate or they're doing positive affirmations. You walk into a room full of comics and you're like, hey, guys, I was just doing positive affirmations. They'd be like, gay, get out of here. You know what I mean? Um, or journalists would be like, well, so you could, like, become rich, and like, part of the 1% or whatever. Um, and so – I think being around uh, less toxic people and positive people was like huge. So when exercise, that led to health. And then I think when I started listening to Tim's show, uh, that's when I went into like the mindfulness and journaling. And uh, and also and Tim's like a great that. example of, you know, like you see in his both Tools of Titans book and Tribes of Mentors book, uh, you really are, you know, the people, you, you know, you hang out with. So Tim spends yeah. a lot of time hanging out with really great people mm-hmm. and in part because his podcast, you know, and he knows them and, um, and then you just learn from them and improve from them. And again, it's forgetting about all the political issues, forget like 
forgetting like politics almost like slips away because you realize, hey, the greatest impact I can have on the world is if I improve myself and then yes. affect the people around me and then they affect the people around them. Yeah. Instead of everybody, like you said, arguing in this echo chamber that helps nobody. Yeah, and it took forever for me to realize that because you know, I mean, one, I think you have to accept the fact that being on Twitter all day trashing Trump isn't going to get him impeached. So you feel kind of stupid and worthless, right? Two, like, I don't know why I never thought of that. I mean, I guess, I think the real answer was I didn't want to confront the demons inside of me. So it's easier to just tweet about fascism and feel like I'm doing a bigger, um, a bigger service. But also, like, you're called apathetic, you know, if you're like, hey, I'm not really into politics. Then everyone will be like, oh, there are people dying, you know? Where- yeah, yeah. Like if I if I wrote an article once um, about why I don't vote. Yeah. And everyone oh, you was- must have gotten so much shit. Yeah, yeah. You, I, a lot, I, the usual hate mail. But meanwhile, if I write an article with, with you know – how I feel about something, it could really have impact. And, right. or if I do a podcast or if you do a podcast on, you know, like on how you feel about things or how you get over depression, that can have real impact as opposed to casting a vote in California or New York right. where you have zero impact with your vote. Right. Like, right. And, and, and also your vote's not really expressing any kind of skepticism or intellectual curiosity. You're not, you're not expressing your real opinions. You're just saying, okay, I sort of like, these 40 opinions expressed by some yeah. other person. Well, then what's so funny is the people who, the people on the left who are like, the people on the left who are like, if you don't vote, you're part of the problem. You're like the reason like Donald Trump got into office and you go, all right, you know what? I guess I will vote. The system's pretty corrupt. So why don't I vote for like a third party? And they're like, no, don't do that. That doesn't count. Like then you're just as bad. And it's like, well, motherfucker, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to vote like how I actually feel? Or do you just want me to vote for the person you want me to vote for and like uphold the system? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like if you voted for someone who could maybe maybe shake shit up, um, then okay, maybe that'll do something. But they don't want that. They just want – again, like I know what we did on the left where we would find – you just find the talking points that make the person feel guilty enough to do the thing that you agree with, you know? Yeah, as opposed to like, again, thinking – like when I think about my real opinions on issues – I can't even figure out if, if I'm left or right. Like, for instance, I'm, I'm in favor of getting rid of the FDA. So, like, all drugs should be legal. All pharmaceutical drugs should be legal. And then there'll be systems for figuring out which ones work because a lot of pharmaceutical drugs end up killing people and getting recalled anyway. So, yep. But prices, medical prices will go way down, like 99% down. Millions of lives more will be saved. Blah, blah, blah. But I don't know... If this is this a left issue or a right issue? It's like I, half and half, right? Because it's like legalized drugs is the lefty part. Um, but then, but was, yeah. there's some libertarian aspect to no government. That's what I was going to say too. So, yeah. so, so or no a, regulation, I guess, would be like the right wing part of that. But, but yeah. So 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 so. But but you're allowed to. What's what's important there is going through the exercise of skepticism. Like, do I say my opinions right or wrong? No. Like, I'm willing to be convinced otherwise. But it's an interesting thing to look at. Will this save more lives as opposed to just signing up for like one religion as opposed to another religion? Yeah, and well, and that's what it was. Like again, on the left and the right, I'm sure. But I'm just speaking from my point of view. I'm not like just thrashing the left. Where it was just pretty much like. How does my team feel about this? And that's the side I'm on, or else I'm going to get ostracized on Twitter. Or yeah. even if you do ask those skeptical questions, people, I mean, look at like, oh, Jesus Christ, I don't want to get it even more, uh, 
even more contentious, but like, we'll go back to comedy after this. Um, like the guy who played Superman got in so much trouble this week, Henry Cavill or whatever. Oh yeah, what, what you know? Here's the other thing: I don't read the news. Good. I, have, I well, I, I actually have no idea what so happened. So I don't really either anymore. Uh, where he said, uh, you know, he criticized me too. Uh, he didn't criticize it. He said like, I just don't go up and like talk to women on set anymore because I'm like afraid I'm gonna get in trouble or something like that. Like whatever. Like it's definitely not the most. Maybe it was like clumsily worded, but. He on Twitter is being treated like he got caught molesting somebody. Where it's if you ask a question about a contentious topic, like that happened with Matt Damon when he's like, I'm glad Weinstein goes to jail, but I don't think Al Franken is the same. They literally treated him like he was a rapist. They were like, they they like me too Matt Damon for speaking out against not even speaking out against something, just like asking that question. And I feel like you can't ask those questions anymore. It's like you're either on one side or the other and you have to choose. I think that's why podcasts are so important because you can actually talk about it in more than 140 characters or whatever the right. character limit is right now. Well, you know, you know, and I'll, I'll tie it back to comedy. I think you could talk about it on comedy. I think you could kind of I think you can educate the audience in advance where you basically say, "We're in a comedy club." This is the one safe place I can say anything. I know, but like it's if you not- if you take me too seriously in a comedy club, then that's on you. I know, but that's and what's then, happening now. Yeah. I mean, you see, with Chappelle, with like so many people. No, and, and but Chappelle did a great job of like so. Chappelle in one of his Netflix specials uh, said something about transgenders. Yeah, but then the next special, he said, "You know who hates me? The transgender group." Yeah, but and then he told this story about how he had sex with a transgender woman. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he kind of. He, he he's he's the greatest at like sort of he just upfront dealt with it and, totally and, and I think yeah some people still don't like him for that but they probably would, didn't like him to begin with yeah dude I'm Norton did this bit last night I mean actually I don't know if he's working on it for a special so I shouldn't talk about it but it was essentially about like accidentally being inappropriate with a woman and 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 it was so well meaning and it was so like relatable it was about like texting too much essentially or something like that and you know. In this day and age, if if uh, fucking I don't know, man, if Brad Pitt got on TV and was like, yeah, so I like kept texting this chick and she wouldn't like call me back, people would like he'd be in trouble, he'd be a stalker, he'd be like a sex predator, and you know, I essentially got in trouble for like having uh, uh, like a consensual relationship um, with someone, but my difference was I didn't talk about it on stage as a comedian. I was known as this. Self-righteous male feminist, and right, which is why like Jim Norton and Doug Stanhope can't be, yes, you know, quote unquote, me too. Again, you know, not saying any behavior is good oh, or bad. Me too. Yeah, but uh, they're they they are they admit to everything on stage. Oh, did you see Doug like during all of it? He was like reposting the pictures of like him with his dick out, like in front of all the female comics who were like smiling and giving the thumbs up. Like he's just a ridiculous person. Um, but yeah, I was gonna say. What, what I really want to talk about with you, because you asked me um, about how I started sort of like getting healthy again. Uh, how did you, because you've gone through so many ups and downs too. Yeah. What was sort of your process with that? Because what I love about you, here's what I love about you, uh, what I love about your podcast, is even like Tim and Jocko, when they're interviewing someone like very successful, will just be like, give me the lessons and I'm going to learn from you. You will do that same thing while also still consistently being like a neurotic train wreck and will still be, and that's a comic in you, have that vulnerable sort of like self-doubt and like 
little bits of self-hate. Um, and that's why I was like, oh, we're going to – I pretty much only interview people on this show that I'm going to be friends with. I never write questions because the first podcast usually ends up with us like trading stories and becoming friends. Um, and so so that's what I love. And you talk really openly about like you like had everything and then you lost it. And I feel like this happened to you a couple times, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like – both really good with money and then really bad with money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can even go up on a stage and say, like, depending on where where in this cycle I am, I can go up on a stage and say, I am rich. Yeah. But but don't worry, I'm known for going broke repeatedly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. at most, this is I'm gonna be dead broke and in the sewer in like a year. <laughs> this or is maybe all two. temporary. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so so which is a little play on like how Louis C.K. actually dealt with the issue in one of his specials where he was like, ah. I'm not going to try to explain it. I, I do everything better than the rest of you, but it's only going to last for so long. Yeah. But uh, but it's really true with me. I I am I've always been good at figuring out how to make money. Yeah. And but then you know there's three skills: making it, um, keeping it, growing it. And I was never good at keeping it and growing it. Right. <laughs> so now I'm trying to be better at that. Knock on some wood somewhere. Yeah. But, uh, uh, was that, is there like, do you have like, do you have like an addictive part of you that just goes too hard or do you, or is it just the way the business works when like, yeah, it's both. It's, I definitely have like, you know, we were talking about before the podcast, how, you know, when you get into something, you think you're going to do jujitsu one day a week, but then you do it like six days a week. Yeah. Like I definitely <laughs> have this obsessive quality where, you know, that could be the ruin of me depending on what I'm obsessed with. But also I just didn't understand there's lots of subtleties to money other than just making it. And I didn't understand that the first time I made it or the second time or the third time. Yep. So I just would go dead broke and and then even broke more broke than dead broke. Yeah. And I had kids to raise and I lost houses and just lost everything and a couple of different times and it's just been it's been brutal and I would say to myself like what the I'm like supposed to be everybody used to tell me I was smart I must be like the worst idiot in the world yeah. for this to happen for the fourth time in a row <laughs> and so finally I'm like okay well what am I doing right on the way up and what am I doing wrong on the way down and I really try hard to stay to that discipline That's smart. but it's not always easy but I try really hard Does, do you think any of that comes from Cause like before I got divorced, I was, I mean, rich for me, you know what I mean? Like we wrote like a book and got like a big advance and like our old podcasts made a ton of money and we had no advertisers, which was really cool. We just made a ton of money from the like, you know, support of the audience. And, but the reason I was so fucked after the divorce is cause I just spent it terribly. We had like... A, th- a three bedroom place on Prospect Park. We had like when I first, because I was homeless and I dropped out of high school. So I made all those dumb mistakes. I got, I never thought I would be that person, you know, especially because we were like on the podcast, we were like anti capitalist and success. And then the second I got money, I was like, give me that Pac Man machine, give me the biggest fucking TV you can give me. And for me, it was insecure, like looking back on all those mistakes, um, as someone who now is literally starting again from scratch with like nothing. Um, it was insecurity and projection. It was insecurity because I never had anything. I grew up poor and unpopular, and now I have a little bit of that. Um, and then it was projection because I wasn't happy. But I was like, hey, look at look at this nice apartment. Of course our marriage is great. We have this big TV that we can watch and not talk to each other all night. You know what I mean? And uh, And so do you think part of it 
For you, did any of it have to do with that insecurity and that like I'll oh. show the kids who were shitty to me yeah, in high school? Abso- absolutely. It was it it's insecurity. It's you know, you're always judging yourself by some metric, right? Like you're either, you know, we're we're tribal animals, so we're kind of we we in our brains have to rank each other from alpha to omega. So I just when I was 13 years old, I was beneath omega. Yeah. And <laughs> the omegas were kicking the shit out of you. Right. <laughs> and there's always that 13-year-old voice that kind of creeps up and says, you know, you made all this money, but you're still kind of Omega-ish. Yeah, me and, too, man. And so now you need to do this, or now you need to um, end your marriage, or, you know, and go out with somebody else, and because you have to still prove yourself to girls. And Yeah, oh uh, my God, yes. You know, or, or, or it's not good enough to make X, you've got to make 10 times X, because my neighbors have 10 times X, and... I don't know. There was just there's just so many issues, and I had to really kind of repeatedly because it never ends. Like that 13 year old voice never shuts up. Yeah, uh, you repeatedly have to kind of take a step back and say, okay, well, what actually is making me feel content with my life? Not even happy, but just like yeah, content. Yep. And you know, like meeting friends, or you know, doing something creative, or making an audience laugh in comedy, trying something new. Uh, Making decisions for myself instead of you know making the decisions everyone else tells me to, like a boss or uh, parents or you know colleagues or pseudo friends or whatever. Yeah. So you know the, the, these kinds of like basic freedoms that we mo- mostly deny ourselves because we grow up in this school system, then we go to this corporate system. Then, and I'm not saying corporatism's bad. It's just. It, it chains and transforms yes. and it doesn't always provide happiness. Yeah. And even if you're making a lot of money, like it's not going to provide, you know, having a boss just sucks for everybody. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so figuring out how can you make more decisions where you have more freedoms. And I think par- part of the allure of stand up is that there's no, there's no gatekeeper. There's no, right. like, let's say you try to write a book. Like you, you wrote a book. So you had to pitch it to publishers yep. and some editor's assistant said, okay, maybe this is good. And this person maybe just graduated college and, and is deter- is the first gatekeeper determining whether you as a human being are good or bad. Yeah. And then, then, <laughs> then that person's editor, then the marketing person, then, you know, the publicist, then the publisher, like they all have to say yes to you as a human being. Right. Or, you feel that in order for them to publish your book. So, my best seller, I went through all the publishers. I published with all the major publishers, but then my best selling book, I self published. I said, you know what? I'm not going to go through that process at all. I'm just going to choose what I think is good because yeah. I'm the one who knows me the best. And if people don't buy it, they don't buy it. Yeah. Uh, it's all up to me. Dude, that's what Stanhope did with comedy clubs when he started playing like rock clubs and building his own audience. And you end up being more profitable. I mean, at the peak of my old political show, uh, we were making more money than Sirius offered us. And it's like, and that would have had a boss and that would have, but it, it's scary, right, but, man. But, but, but Sirius though, like let's say the CEO of Sirius calls you, right? Sirius XM calls you. And this happened to me. So yeah. I go in and meet the CEO of Sirius XM and we talk about having a show, but I'm thinking to myself, oh, I got, had that feeling and oh, I want him to like Because you want that validation. Yeah. Yes. I want to be liked. I want the big, bad, serious XM to, to love me yep. and give me a show. When you're right, like I could do my own podcast, get five times the audience, make more money, have more control over Keep it. it. Yep. Do it from your house. Offices. Uh, and you know, in co- but, but comedy, it's the same thing. Like, A, there's nobody, like if, 
I'm, I'm, it's no one who can artificially tell me he's good or bad. Like they have right. their own agendas. Everybody, all the people that like, let's say your, your boss or your publisher or the CEO, so whoever is the gatekeeper for, for you, uh, in a comedy club, there's no gatekeepers. You're either making them laugh or you're not. Right. It's just raw and you're either going to have a good time or you're not going to have a good time. Well, it's totally up to you. I mean, forcing analogies, like we said we do, it's like jujitsu where it's like the move works if you can tap someone out. And if you can't, you got it's comedy and fighting are like the two most ultimate, like it's as like peer reviewed study as you can get. I have this joke. I think it's funny. I'm going to go on stage. Did they laugh? No. Okay. Can I fix it? Bring it back to the lab. Same with jujitsu. Like I have this move. Can I tap this guy out? Okay. Well, I can tap the white belt out, but I can't tap the purple belt out. So now let's take it back to the lab. Let's fix it. Let's tweak it. Um, and it, it, it forces you to, it's weird. It gives you this, like the most like Kanye West esque high while also can give you just like, just a fucking beating and just the most humility of it. And that balance I think is really good of having this like ultimate like alpha confidence, but also being, you're always going to be put in check. If you think you're the funny, I mean, dude, I did a show with Louis CK in Ireland and he fucking bombed in front of 800 people. Like, even though that wasn't me seeing him do that was enough for me to be like, Oh, oh, Jesus. Whew. That makes me feel better because you're still going to take your, I mean, it'll become fewer and far between, but you're you're still going to take a beating. Yeah, no, you're definitely going to take a beating. And, and you know, it also reminds me of day trading. So I used to, like 20 years ago, I was a day trader. If you make money one day, you think, oh, man, this is great. I'm going to be the richest man in the universe. And if you lose money one day, you instantly start thinking. I'm oh, homeless. Yeah. Uh, not only am I homeless, but like, and then I looked it up. Like there are like your, your, all your, court, your, you know, your neurochemicals go down. Your testosterone goes down. Oh, my God. Like on a bad day trading day. And, this pro- and it's the same feeling when you bomb in comedy. It's, you, you feel it. Like your testosterone. Going yeah. Down. Oh my God. Everything, dude. Uh, well, so what? But, but one thing, one other thing I will say though, I just want to, sorry to interrupt. No, 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 no. There's another understand. nuance with comedy, which is that if I'm not, not only, it's raw in a couple ways. One is there's, you got to make the audience laugh, but you also sometimes get to pick your audience. So I find it's like the Doug Stanhope thing. Yeah. I find if I, I like to do comedy clubs in New York. But I also like to just go to a bar and say, hey, I'm taking over the downstairs of this bar. <laughs> I invite everybody who That's great. follows me on Twitter. That's such a good it, fucking way to do it. Yeah, because audience selection could be part of the game. Uh, you know what? Why should I have to educate the audience when I can select the audience? Yeah. And then I'll have a fun time. Yeah. Because I mean, part of it, too, is having a fun time. But then the opposite happened to me where my audience got so niche and so left wing that I stopped going to comedy clubs because mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh, why would I risk failure? I have this audience that loves me for everything I say, even if it's not as funny. You know, with comedy, the, the real trick is going to a church and make them laugh at an abortion joke or fucking, you know, to have that power where you can, um, um, you can win. My favorite compliment I used to get when I played all the mainstream comedy clubs were, hey, man, I don't agree with you, but you were funny. And it's like, oh, maybe I actually did some good there. But when you only – and this isn't what you're doing at all. This is when I was political. But when you're only playing for your audience, it got to the point where you run out of political topics. So right. you start getting more extreme and suddenly I'm writing like – 
I guess I read a transgender vegan joke and it's like, what the fuck does that even look like? Um, but you're just trying to, you got to just kind of keep going to appease this, this sort of niche crowd. Um, whereas there is something right, very democratic about comedy clubs. That's when you're signing up for someone else's crowd. Correct. That was you're my not, thought. Yeah. You're not using, you're not, and this is where having, having your own voice where is that then your crowd is coming for your voice. Yeah. And, and that's the, that's the, the nuance there. Comedy clubs are still good though because you want to kind of practice it's great. against strangers to see, hey, even when they hate me, can I survive this and have a fun time? Dude, I've become the total opposite of what I was. I loved having this niche audience. Every time I went overseas, um, every newspaper would call me like the next Bill Hicks, and I like I just like fucking fed off that. Like, oh, it was so gross how much I fed off it. And now, and I was like, fuck comedy clubs, like they're part of the corporate whatever. Now, dude, like. Going into a mainstream packed comedy club and talking about like fucking jerking off is just like the greatest thing to me. Where it's democratic. It is like just a bunch of working class people who just want to laugh. And like that now to me, I'm going backwards. I went from like super rebellious comic and now I'm like, man, put me at the fucking improv. I'll talk about Tinder. Like it, it's, I'm craving the opposite thing. Yeah, and when you were able to, that's when you, when you're able to, like you were t- saying earlier, just speak in your regular voice as if you're joking around with friends. Yes. But then you put it on steroids, like a, what a stand-up comedian does, and you're able to just like riff with the audience yeah. and do all sorts of, like, really be yourself and quirky and have fun. That's just like the best feeling. Yeah. So wait. So to go back to your, to circle back to when we were talking about like getting out of these like holes, right? You were talking about how we're always trying to like appease our 13 years, 13 year old, like awful self or nerdy self or picked on self. Um, for me, cause this is my first rock bottom. I started with nothing. Then I got everything. And this is, I'm, I'm, we're in it right now. This, <laughs> this podcast is, uh, broadcasting live from one of my rock bottoms. Um, to me, I feel like, and I, tell me if you felt this, because I want to brace myself for if that evil go get more voice is going to come again. So I got successful. I had to go get more, buy the big stuff. Who needs a saving account? Like you have no money because <laughs> like, you have this giant apartment. Um, I, I did that. So now that I lost everything, I'm, and I, I do sincerely feel this right now, where the littlest things, somebody buys me a coffee, um, I fucking wake up and even though like my apartment is shitty, it's like I still have a home for me and my little cat in Los Angeles or um, I'm being appreciative of all these really little things that in my head, I'm telling myself, man, when I can, you know, I'm teaching jujitsu too now. It's the first time I've technically had a day job in 20 years. I mean, granted it's with something I love, but you know, so in my head, I'm like, all right. So when I can teach jujitsu as a passion instead of a job, when maybe I'm like going out to like B clubs every weekend or, you know, making like $4,000 a month, like something so like minuscule. I'm like, man, I'm going to appreciate everything and I'm going to be so happy. Like after your rock bottom, like during your rock bottoms, did you sort of think that? And then once you got it all again, did that 13 year old voice come back and be like, fucking get more, dude? Yeah, the 13 year old voice. Damn it. Yeah. I mean, over and over. Because in my head, I feel like this humility that I've gotten is sticking around. And that's the goal. So, so, so my first rock bottom was in like 2000, year 2000. Okay. And, and, and that rock bottom, 
uh, was huge. Like the lot, the loss was massive and I didn't like really kind of, I started to recover around 2003, 2004. And then I was at a high again in like 2006, 2007. And then I was at rock bottom again in 2008, <laughs> then rock bottom again in 2010 and 2012. And, uh, and now I'm at the, but this is after 20 years almost. I'm at the best point I've ever been in my life because I hopefully learned the lesson by 2012 after yeah. going through this like t- almost 20 years. But I'm scared to death all the time. Well, that's um, what I was going to say. When when I rock bottomed, and I, and I didn't see it coming, when I rock bottomed, there's also that, that voice in your head where you go, yeah, man, this is what happens. You're a fuck up. You were a fraud that whole time. Yeah, that's how I thought. I thought I had gotten lucky and won the lottery and I'm never going to win the lottery again. No one wins the lottery twice. Yep. And then when I won the lottery twice, I said, well, definitely I'm never going to win the lottery three times. Like the jig is up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it just, it feels really bad and you just have to, you kind of, and it, and it, there's no, the, the only way to get out of feeling bad is just to focus on, okay, today I'm going to make sure I stay healthy and eat well and sleep well and, and exercise. And I'm going to be around good people yeah. and being around good people. Maybe I'll give them ideas or see what they're working on or, or try to help them in some way so that they're appreciative without even asking for anything. And then I'm going to try to be creative. I'll like write, I'll write down ideas for myself or for others and, and then try to be spiritual. And by that, I mean, not like some, Weird thing, but uh, <laughs> you know, because I think that's particularly you're, you're, you live in LA now, so that can mean anything. Yeah, but, uh, that's true. But but we like worship just, a crystal god. Just like being spiritual might just mean, oh, I just heard that thirteen year old voice again, and noticing that and saying that's not my vo- that's not who I am right now. That was me at thirteen. Yeah, and that and just noticing that and putting like a little bit distance between kind of the negative aspects of your life and where you really are at this moment, uh, and just doing that every day, and that's what kind of. It's just like this tiny little staircase of steps that that just go up. Yeah, well, shit, man. I could talk to you forever, but that was one of the my favorite sentiments that's ever been uttered on this podcast. So I think let's just fucking we'll cut our losses. Let's just end it there and then do the show again uh, every time I'm in New York. Excellent. Yeah, I right. look forward to it. Thanks, brother. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.